three, two, one. Electric Avenue, season two. Here we go. We are not alternative anymore. It's a quickly evolving industry. And of course, amazing opportunities. We look at the industry and its topics. Things are changing very quickly. What is that market setup going to look like? It's very much about charging experience. Going to much more mature business. And, of course, new revenue streams. Those companies will either have to improve or they'll just die. This is the Electric Avenue Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Electric Avenue podcast about the electric vehicle revolution and the new energy economy as seen from our perspective out here in Central and Eastern Europe. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, now Public Policy Director at Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. I'm joined here by co-host and managing partner of Greenway, Peter Badik. Great to be back with you doing this. Yeah, great, indeed. We have been off the air since last summer, and when we started the podcast two years ago, you know, the landscape of e-mobility has changed a lot. Uh, also, 21 episodes behind us. Feels like kind of a lot, huh? Sure, but there is a time to do the new one, or? <laughs> Touche, and here we are. It is that time, this Friday evening, ready to do it. So we took this long hiatus. I mean, you know, our last episode dropped in August. And so what we're doing now is we're really kicking off season two. And we're doing it under very different conditions than when we started this podcast two years ago. E-mobility landscape has changed. The industry has evolved a lot, a lot more EVs. We'll talk about all of that in a minute. But, you know, working on this, I looked back on the, let's say, concept note we wrote for our podcast two years ago. And I think some of the core of what we want to do still remains and holds just as true today as it did back then. We wanted to raise awareness about important and timely topics in our industry and the associated energy transition. We wanted to present solutions and advocate for paths forward on how to best address them, whether it's technical or policy level or financial. And we wanted to meet other interesting colleagues in our industry, from other parts of the world, have some fun and laughs and uh, not have to travel too far so that we could keep our carbon footprint uh, pretty minimally. You know, we started out very regionally focused and obviously in terms of, you know, the operations of Greenway really focused on the Slovak and Polish markets right now and the uh, nearby regional markets. But we're definitely expanding our prism a bit to look a lot more at, you know, other countries in Europe and, you know, from the pan-European level, because it really does need to be a pan-European internal market for electric vehicles in order for the whole system to work properly and really be smooth and seamless for the drivers, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I think it comes with the development of the market in general. And uh, as we, although we are still a, quite a new industry, uh, I used to say that it, we started somewhere in 2014, things are developing very fast. And I would say we are becoming very standalone and very serious industry with own rules and own processes. Uh, and as well, then own relationship with the regulators, which are still much more in the focus on charging infrastructure. So yeah, it's becoming more and more serious. All right. Well, uh, with that, everyone, new listeners, returning listeners, fans from the first day, uh, welcome to season two of Electric Avenue. Here we go. So, Peter, in the last year, despite COVID, the electric vehicle market has kind of boomed relative to automotive sales uh, in combustion engine vehicles, and the EV charging infrastructure industry has evolved and grown a lot. So let's talk about that. Let's quickly catch up on, on where we were. Do you want to go or should I? Yeah, I can. A uh, few numbers from uh, from the last year suggest that the 
electric mobility, electric vehicles uh, market is growing very fast. Just uh, if you look on the number of battery electric vehicles sold in Europe, it's grown from basically 250,000 in uh, 2019 to more than 540,000 in uh, 2020, so more than doubling. Everything in a situation where, in general, there is a 24% drop in sales of the cars, in uh, passenger cars in uh, Europe. So it means that electric vehicles and as well plug-in hybrids significantly overperform the general uh, passenger car market, which is a definitely a good sign that despite the complicated situation related to the COVID, the demand for electric vehicles is very strong and proven to be very strong. And uh, basically what we see that the, I think we discussed this very often in this podcast, that as soon as then there is the uh, supply of the electric vehicles, the demand is ready to, to take them. And this is basically happening. OEMs were pushed to uh, fulfill for the first time in 2020 tighter regulation regarding uh, CO2 standards. Therefore, they had to introduce more electric vehicles, different models and in larger volumes. And, and immediately, basically, it translated into a uh, higher volume of uh, battery electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids last year. So, Definitely, this was for us the main driver for the whole industry and our market, market of charging is reacting very nicely to that as well. So on one hand, OEMs had to produce all of these vehicles because of the CO2 standards, which were much more stringent and came into effect in 2020. But then at the also, you're seeing people, consumers who are buying these cars. So like you said, the demand is there. So it seems like there's now both supply increase and also, you know, the demand is being realized. So that's wonderful because we've talked a lot about how sometimes, you know, you order an electric vehicle and you can wait six months, sometimes a year to even be delivered. And so has that changed as well? Uh, yeah, it, it has. It has well, there is still more demand than supply, so you still have some waiting times for certain models especially. But uh, generally, it's just much easier now to get to the electric vehicle. What we experienced as well, interestingly, for me at least, was interesting that the second-hand market is working as well. It's very important for CE countries. In Poland, where we are operating, one-third of the electric vehicles just sold in the country were actually second-hand. So that's as well encouraging, saying that the, this is a starting to behave more or less like a normal passenger vehicle market. So yeah, that's, I think, a good sign that, uh, that people believe in electric vehicles. Even the people who may not have you know, such a high budget are, are buying them, uh, buying them maybe on second-hand. So it's obviously seeing that becoming still more and more mainstream. Yeah, indeed. I mean, and then you've had, you know, so there were the standards we talked about, but then also you have all of these announcements from OEMs, not just that they're, you know, going to meet these new standards, but that they're really going to either come out with many, you know, fully electric models or that they're going to stop research or stop production of combustion engine vehicles altogether. I mean, the announcement from Audi last week that they're stopping all research on new combustion engine vehicles in the case obviously that they're going to go fully electric in the next, you know, within the next few years. Volvo said something similar. Jaguar Land Rover said that they're going to stop producing combustion engine vehicles from the whole family by, I think, 2030. And, uh, and then, of course, there was the Super Bowl video with Will Farrell from General Motors. Uh, you know, so it seems like OEMs are also really on board, not just maintaining minimum compliance with the, with the no CO2 regulations, um, but really getting on board. And, you know, we're starting to see that now on at least both sides of the Atlantic. Without any doubt, a very strong, a good example is Volkswagen, who's leading this change, I would say, uh, with a huge investment and commitment. It seems that we are getting through a certain point where, you know, way to return would be extremely expensive at the end. 
for OEMs. And at the end, we can see maybe, and it's my prediction, maybe in two, three years, OEM will become a main driving force in this change. Right. Like a tipping point has been reached. A critical mass of major players in the industry has now really committed to an electric future and the others will, you know, catch up or die or become, you know, reduced to the fringes. And, you know, suddenly the infrastructure will start to be kind of be much more omnipresent and really kind of reach into the popular consciousness. I agree. I mean, we're certainly getting there and we're certainly seeing that all. Of course, a lot needs to be done. So let's let's talk about that. But before we go, I mean, one other really big milestone in the industry in 2021 was ChargePoint, you know, a charging infrastructure company that went public. And uh, well, they say it's the first public company that's gone public. Uh, others disagree. Maybe it was Fastnet here, but it's certainly the first company to go fully public public on a major stock exchange like the New York Stock Exchange. So uh, that also seems to be a really strong bellwether of, you know, the growth and the, the confidence in our industry. Is that how you see it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, it's uh, touched us as well very strongly as a company because, uh, you know, the charging business and building of a charging network is expensive uh, and require a lot of investments. So therefore, we are very curiously looking on how this market evolves and when the market will be ready for, uh, let's say, long-term investment from institutional investors. And basically, this was not the case for many years, but uh, we saw last, last six months, we can see a very huge turnaround and a strong interest either from the long-term infrastructure investors uh, entering this space. There was several transactions recently and uh, as well, you know, companies, as I said, at the charge point going public, which basically means that we can expect, and it's already happening, major inflow of the capital into the charging infrastructure, which as well uh, will boost the development here, which is at the end very much needed because the uh, charging infrastructure needs to keep up the pace with the development of electromobility. Uh, and for that, we obviously need quite a substantial amount of capital. There is a lot of things to be done and, and exciting times. We are looking forward to that. Totally, totally. It's a good uh, context in which to launch our second season. Look, I know we want to talk a lot more about ChargePoint and about, you know, kind of the financing of our business and about these SPACs, these special purpose acquisition companies and sort of the interesting phenomena there. So we'll do that in a few episodes, uh, but it was good to just touch on it here because it certainly was a milestone. I've gotten a few shares myself already. Look, with all of these vehicles coming, I mean, what is it, two and a half million EVs on the roads in Europe uh, as of the end of 2020 almost? The really significant question, you know, for our industry then is, is there enough charging infrastructure? You know, where will all of these EVs charge? And I think it's it's worth us asking that question and having that conversation because the European Commission came out with its one million target of public charging infrastructure that doesn't account for other types of infrastructure by 2025 and then three million by 2030. And, you know, that was followed up by a let's say, approving comment from the automotive lobbying group, the uh, uh, European Auto Manufacturers Association. But they also said, but there's not enough infrastructure deployed yet. And in order to meet that 1 million target in the next four years, we're going to have to, you know, rapidly, rapidly increase the deployment of chargers. And so just for a little bit of context, uh, right now there's about 300,000 charging stations throughout Europe. So 1 million by 2025 is a steep increase, about 400 a day. I think I did some some quick back of the napkin math there, and that's what, that's what I got. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but that's still a lot of chargers a day, even around Europe, but still. 75% of those chargers are concentrated in four countries. So, I mean, that's another issue, right, is the geographic spread here. The Netherlands, Germany, France, and the UK 
um, which means that the market is extremely, extremely concentrated. And also the mix of AC, DC, and power levels really varies greatly by region. That's a lot of stuff to contend with. And Peter, I mean, I guess the question is, is our industry ready to meet that demand? And what can we do to meet it? Uh, absolutely, absolutely, Aaron. I think, first of all, it was already proven you have a countries like, I don't know, Netherlands or Norway, where the share of electric vehicles is much, much higher. Just to give you a number. In Norway, the 54.3% of the cars sold the last year were battery electric vehicles. So you can imagine that the lead itself uh, is, I think, if I remember correctly, is around 25% of the cars in Norway are already electric. And basically, they have infrastructure. So uh, I think that we are here working with the market forces and, and uh, building our charging infrastructure is definitely a challenge. Uh, but uh, it's more engineering challenge. So we need to organize ourselves properly. We need to get good processes. We need to uh, work very closely with the cities and with uh, utilities. Uh, but this is definitely something which could be done. The inflow of the funds and, and, and capital is already happening. What is as well encouraging is uh, that as the electromobility market is maturing, growing, there is still more and more that was the topic of the day. There's still more and more stakeholders are, are interested in building our charging infrastructure. So while uh, several years ago for us, it was not so easy to, I don't know, to come to office building owner and discuss with them to build the charges for their tenants. Uh, uh, now they are coming basically and say, oh, well, people are asking us to where they can charge, how they can charge. So. We see the push from the market and it's not only about the CPOs or companies professionally working on the charging infrastructure, but many, many other stakeholders. What I'm a little bit afraid of, uh, which could slow us down, I wouldn't stop, but slow us down, is uh, if the utilities will be able to react as fast as the markets need. And so what do you mean there? I mean, are you talking about grid capacity? Are you talking about the speed of connection times, like the moment from which you apply for a new meter to the point at which it's, uh, you know, kind of approved and that access point is made? Yeah. The second, the second, it's, it's generally, if we talk about this big lines and connecting the cities, that's not really the issue. The issue is the last mile, so to speak. The, grid from the transformers and how quickly the utilities are able to expand and adopt this uh, grid and how to make it digital, how to improve the data collection and all these things around that. So there are many, many things. It's not a rocket science, so we don't need any special new development, but it needs to be done. And uh, I'm a little bit afraid that uh, we will uh, come to the point where, where this is going to be a main uh, limit of the growth. Because at the very beginning, we were able to get so-called low-hanging fruits. So, yeah, we are able to connect still because there is uh, unused capacity here and there. But as we are discussing the electromobility trends, how fast it's developed and how many charging points we need, I'm concerned about if DSO are able to keep the speed. Right, right. Well, and they need to be an ally in this effort. And they're a natural monopoly. And so they are completely regulated. So then this really gets back to what is their mandate from, you know, from their authorizing legislation, which should literally just tell them what they need to do. And um, so hopefully that can, that's something that we can address, because I agree, this is a real, you know, this could potentially be a bottleneck. We need to address that head on. Uh, I mean, a recent piece of legislation, there was a, a new 
entity created at the European level in order to bring together all the DSOs and have them look at these issues uh, in a comprehensive manner. And so that entity is supposed to be created in the next few weeks or months here. And then there'll be kind of a single point of contact for engaging all of these questions with at the European level. So that's going to be very important to, to moving this to the next phase. <music> So like you said, I mean, it's an incredible opportunity and, you know, there's an incredible moment here for growth and for taking advantage of this moment. So this brings us to our next topic here and our last main topic of today, which is this moment, this moment that we're in. And, you know, right now we're trying to recover from the pandemic. Europe has created a massive stimulus fund in order to try to help uh, the economy's return from this recession. Uh, the next generation EU package includes 672 billion euros in loans and grants that will be designated for member states based upon plans that they write or proposals that they write, so-called recovery and resilience plans. And then member states can apply for those funds and use those funds. The money has to be spent in the next five years because the purpose of it is to stimulate the economy right now, create jobs, create economic development, and also, though, to invest now for a longer-term structural transition of member state economies towards a so-called green and digital recovery, which is great because you're investing now in the infrastructure and energy systems of the future and using this moment now with this massive infusion of public funds to uh, have a really, really long-term approach, even though the money needs to be spent in, in the next five years. So there's a number of flagship priorities that the commission has called out, and one of them is a focus on recharging and refueling for sustainable transport and charging stations, which which includes electric vehicles. The plans are due by April 30th to the Recovery Task Force, and we've already seen some draft plans coming out. Peter, we've looked at some of the uh, proposals, and what do you see? Well, some of them are good, some of them are not so good. If I at least look from perspective of the electromobility, a challenging business. Some of them are concrete. I'm really uh, happy to see that our home country in Slovakia, some interesting ideas went into it. And uh, if these things are going to happen, I think it could be significant help to countries. But crucial thing is it should be a structural change, which uh, basically help us to, to go on this uh, sustainable growth, which is, which is excellent because it's uh, basically what the people demand at the moment. I think that's, that's absolutely crucial to see that the, the perception of the Europeans change in a way that they want to rebuild the economy in a better way. Obviously, uh, I, I tend to agree. And I mean, it's great because it's such a huge infusion of public funds. I mean, this is the largest amount of money that will presumably be invested in the, you know, our lifetimes in any of these politicians' careers. And so they have a real incredible opportunity here to you know, steer that money towards really forward-thinking investments, you know, not like a... I was, uh, I was listening to an interview with the head of the International Energy Agency. He called the 2009 economic recovery a brown recovery because there's a lot of reinvestment into the old uh, industries, uh, whereas this is the opportunity for a green recovery because you're really investing into the uh, energy systems, the mobility systems, the digital systems that will power a cleaner, better future. So, I mean, it's a really, really critical time and a huge, you know, huge opportunity. So, you know, we, you and I contributed a lot to drafting some documents uh, which could help member states think about what should go into their recovery plans when it comes to looking at uh, recharging and refueling infrastructure. And I think it's worth mentioning just a few of those points in case maybe anyone from, uh, you know, any member state government or any national EV association is listening and is curious, well, you know, what should we be looking for in our plans or how can we help, you know, advance this along? We contributed to two documents. One was the 
the uh, recovery criteria, I think it was called, or guidelines, something from the Platform for Electric Mobility. And um, there we called for six different things to be considered in these plans. The first was to looking at all types of locations and all use cases should be targeted. You know, part of that here was that it's not just fully public charging infrastructure, but also private and semi-public charging infrastructure that could be invested in. And I mean, this is a little bit counterintuitive for the use of public funds, but what was the thinking behind that, Peter? It comes from the recognition that the charging infrastructure is uh, is very diverse. It's not only about the public charging, it's not only about the charges in your garage. There are many use cases where you are able to get the, the electricity and basically you want to be charged whenever you are, when you do something and you don't have to want to bother about charging, you just do it alongside other activities which you, which you are doing. And it obviously, it's become more and more clear that there will be a role for charging infrastructure in office buildings, in a workplace where you are going to work, in the restaurants. If you are going to the hospital, you may charge your vehicle in front of the hospital as well. So in many, many cases. And therefore, I think it's a time to look not only the public charging infrastructure as it was the case for past few years, but to look on these other use cases, which are sometimes much more complicated, to be honest. Uh, so basically what we are saying is that, look, there are going to be a huge amount of various situation where the, the charges could be deployed and would be beneficial to deploy the charges there because it will make the electric mobility just easier. And uh, we should start to look on these more complicated cases as well. And uh, when it's needed to provide a support for those who want to deploy maybe the first charger in a block of flats in a semi-detached house. So, to build the first one, it's not easy for anybody. Right. Well, I mean, you said earlier that the low-hanging fruit has largely been addressed already, right? And now we both need to build and install a lot, lot more chargers and also in, in more complicated areas and complex situations. So this is exactly a recognition of that. One of the other points that was made in this document was that these decisions for deployment and investment should be based upon real data about the actual number of chargers and actual charging conditions in each member state. And this is a reflection of the fact that in many places we don't even know. And how can you make these longer term decisions without knowing what is the situation right now? And so we called for you know using this opportunity to create baseline data and get a sense of where you are, each member state getting a sense of where it is now, and then knowing then where it can build from and where it should make investments on and where are the gaps that it needs to fill in so that those investments were smart and, and future looking. Two other points related to the grid conversation that we were talking about earlier, which is that grids should be prepared for increased EV integration. Uh, so this is, I think, a lot about capacity and also about kind of smart infrastructure there. And then also that uh, smart charging should be future proof. Can you elaborate on this? First of all, uh, the technology itself is maturing and charging technology is maturing. I think there was a years when we were able to, you know, have a extension cable out of the window and connect the car, but these times are over and we need to build something which is really uh, intelligent, connected. Uh, we, we know what's consumption at the, at the moment. We know if it's broken, then we go to the location and fix the, the, the problem with the charger. So that's the one thing, to have the overview about the, the charging infrastructure, that's what we call a connected charger. That's the one thing. Another thing, if we talk about the smart charging infrastructure, we think about the energy and energy management systems. As you said, the low hanging fruits are almost gone and uh, when you want to bring more chargers into certain situation into certain let's say real estate you very very often immediately hit the problem with the energy the buildings are not ready to facilitate a large number of chargers so 
One of the things to solve this is, uh, as we discussed already here, the DSO bringing more power into the object with a new connection. But obviously, we should not rely only on that, and we should as well to, to build an infrastructure which is smart in a way that he can manage the need for energy in a smart way. And that, I think, is sort of the point that brings all of this together, right? The market is booming. The number of EVs in European roads is projected to increase 40% each year, at least over the next 10 years. We have this moment with incredible stimulus funds going to every single member state. And at the same time, which we'll talk about next week, you know, there's ongoing revision of some of the main pieces of legislation that govern and oversee these sector. All of this really does come together as long as we take some time to think about how to do it properly. These guidelines also talk about really the future of e-trucking because there's a lot of discussion now about uh, electric heavy-duty vehicles and especially needing to plan now for the moment, the reality that they're coming on the road are already, I mean, you hear from Amazon already has uh, electric trucks driving on the roads in the United States doing deliveries um, and there's announcements by FedEx, announcements by DPD. Um, Amazon's going to be deploying electric trucks in Europe. Of course, there's the Tesla Heavy as well, uh, Skanska and EV Box announced. Uh, truck deal. And so electric trucking is coming, long haul trucking as well as local regional trucking. And so to plan now to power the electric trucking industry uh, throughout Europe. Any comment on e-trucks, Peter? Uh, yeah, only that is a very exciting thing. And uh, we are already looking on how we can be prepared for that in, uh, in our charging infrastructure in certain location. The truth is that there are not so many of them already on the roads. Like from the principal point of view, I don't see a big differences, or maybe they, they would need a little bit more power, or maybe significantly more power. Uh, maybe, maybe <laughs> I was going to say, it might be you know, <laughs> yeah. 750 kilowatts more power per charge, but okay, yeah. Yeah, well, maybe we would need a little bit of different setup of the location. That as well, what is very often mentioned in terms of the trucks is the predictability of the availability of the charges. So, uh, there are definitely challenges, but I would say these are not the principal challenges, so to speak. No, no, but I think the point was more about like exactly planning now and looking comprehensively so that you're thinking about investments now for the future, right? So that there's also not a slowdown. Those are all uh, elements suggested in the guidelines from the Platform for Electric Mobility. There was a uh, also a very similar publication that came from Charge Up Europe, the Industry Association for Electric Vehicles, touched on many of the same points in a slightly different way. And so I encourage anyone who's working on those recovery plans or thinking about them to take a look at those documents if you have any questions about how electric vehicle charging infrastructure could or should be integrated or thought of in the recovery plans. Because again, this is an incredible moment that will not be replicated in our lifetimes and, and cannot be missed. Um, look, we are the you know first generation to significantly feel the impacts of climate change and the last generation to be able to do anything about it. To uh, paraphrase a few politicians from the United States who I've heard say that, and uh, this is an incredible moment in which we can do it. And maybe one of the silver linings around COVID, um, if there are any, is, is this opportunity for real structural investments and structural change. That is our show for today, the end of the first episode of season two. Yeah, this has been fun. In an upcoming episode, we're going to dive really deep into what Brussels is doing to develop legislation to govern our sector. I and mean, we just talked about the recovery plans, but and I mentioned that they're also opening up and revisiting a lot of the actual governing regulatory legislation around uh, so-called alternative fuels. And that's something that we really want to talk about in depth and, and flag for people. 
And with that, I want to thank you, Peter, for this great discussion. Thanks very much. Thank you, Ara, for having me here. Thank you. I also want to thank Katarina Urban-Richterova, our producer, for putting this episode together and making it sound so good for your ears. I especially want to thank our audience, hoping that uh, there are a few people who were listening to season one who are back listening to this episode, and a whole lot of new listeners. We have some good ideas for the next few episodes, but we also want to know what you think. If there's topics you want to hear us cover, suggestions for people we should talk to, uh, let us know at aaron.fishbone at greenwaynetwork.com. You can tweet at us at gwoperator.com, or you can find our Facebook page, Electric Avenue Podcast, on Facebook. So with that, I'm Aaron Fishbone. Till next time, wishing you many happy and safe electric kilometers. Uh-huh, hold on, is it recording? There we go. Uh, so, in the last... Uh, uh, okay. Ooh. Returning to recording now.